WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is All of It on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart, live from the WNYC studios in Soho. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. Tomorrow is Feminist Friday on the show. It's Women's History Month. And we're going to send you into the weekend with a conversation about Edith Wilson. She helped run the country after her husband, Woodrow Wilson, had a stroke. We'll speak with author Rebecca Boggs Roberts about her new biography, Untold Power, the fascinating rise and complex legacy of First Lady Edith Wilson. And speaking of women in power, New York Governor Kathy Hochul will be on All Things Considered today. She'll speak with host Sean Carlson about her housing plans and other issues. That'll happen at 4.35 p.m. on 93.9 FM and AM 820 WNYC. That is in the future, but let's get this hour started with the Oscar-nominated film, Tar. We continue now with our week of pre-Oscar conversations with some of the standout nominees from the season. Yesterday, we heard from a pair of nominees representing the superhero sci-fi multiverse story, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Now we'll hear from two of the creative minds behind the season's other overperformer with six nominations total. Tar is up for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress for Kate Blanchett, Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Editing. If you haven't seen it yet, what are you waiting for? Consider this your spoiler alert. Go make some time to see it before the awards this Sunday. Here's the gist. The main character, Lydia Tarr, is the first woman to be the chief conductor of a major German orchestra. She is one of only a handful of people who have won EGOT and has a ton of adoring fans. Her life is full of private planes and bespoke suits. She has an organization that supports young female conductors. After all, she had a mentor, Lenny as in Bernstein. Lydia, played with ferocious intelligence by Kate Blanchett, enters into relationships with young women in her orbit. Many of them are women participating in her fellowship, so the power dynamic is in play, and when the liaisons end, sometimes the young women's careers end too. When Lydia seems to begin the cycle again with a young cellist in her orchestra, a former acolyte threatens to bring the story to light. Lydia Tarr starts to fear she might be losing her grip on power and even her sanity. The New York Times Review called it, quote, cruelly elegant, 
elegantly cruel. And writing an IndieWire, David Ehrlich called Tar one of the boldest and most exciting new American movies I've seen in years. In October, star and executive producer Kate Blanchett and Todd Field, who wrote, directed, and produced the film, joined me here in the studio. And as a matter of fact, it was our first live, in-person, in-studio interview since 2020, so we were all very excited to be together. I started by asking writer and director Todd Field how he settled on the name Lydia Tarr and why there's an accent over the A. Uh, I started working on the script at the very beginning of the the lockdown in uh, March of uh, 2020. And uh, one of the things that I had in in the place where I was working was a sort of child's chalkboard. And just the first thing I I wrote down was Tarr. And I'm not really sure why. I've never really questioned it. it's just how I began. In terms of the accent, um, that was important to to Kate and 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 and, and to I because um, she's a character who is um, full of self invention um, mm-hmm. and, um, and and has a sort of uh, highly attenuated uh, idea of, um, of of how to sell um, an accent, sell and name, sell and names are really important. <laughs> I mean, as as an American in Europe particularly in the classical music world, it sort of Europeanizes her Americanness, which could be, you know, a liability, I think. And as we learn later in the film, she is a person of self. Can I give away that one line mm-hmm. in the film when things are not going so well for Lydia and her brother just looks up the stairs and says, hi, Linda. Yeah, right. Sorry. So yeah. that she has completely created a world for herself. It sounds like you two did, had a lot of conversations beforehand, before even stepping foot onto the set. So what was important for you, Kate, to really discuss and really dig into about this character and the film's themes before even, even stepping on the set? There was a lot to do before I could, you know, earn the right to step on the podium or even get to the, the place to, to play the scenes with this extraordinary ensemble cast, you know, finally working with Nina Haas and Naomi Merlant and, and Sophie Crower and, of course, um, Alan Cordona and Mark Strong. Amazing. So, you know, so much of your work is done for you. But obviously she's um, the head of the, the principal conductor of an unnamed German orchestra. We happen to work with the Dresden Philharmonie, mm-hmm. which is a privilege. And so I had to learn how to, to beat time but also to shape that noise mm-hmm. um, and she had to speak German it's a rehearsal film so there was a lot of process so obviously in performance there's no language but in rehearsal sometimes you have to describe the sound um, particularly if the players aren't reaching reaching that point so there was quite a lot to do you know and um, but you know the, doing someone's homework is not you know, what an audience goes to see. It was just really important that I had, I was facile with all of those things so that people believed that she had an unassailable right to be on that podium, that she was a a master of her craft. When, do you remember the day you felt like you had it, that you had it? In my hands? In your hands? I think you always feel, I mean, I'm, I'm a creature of the theater. And what I love about that is you, every night you get to go out and reoffend again in the, in the hope that you try and re- get close to something mm-hmm. that's perfect. And the thing I find really difficult, even after all these years to accept with film, is that you go home at the end of the day and you go, oh, bugger. And particularly on the last day of filming, you wish you could go back and do it all again. But the first time um, I gave the downbeat and that trumpet started, 
and we were into the trowel marsh. Mm-hmm. And then as, the, as we all just heard the, the, the sound opens up, it was electric. And I never, ever thought that I would have that experience of having that sound come back at me. That was unforgettable. Could you understand why someone might get high off that power? Definitely. I mean, it's, I don't think anyone in a position of power thinks about the power unless they're really perverted. I, don't, I think that she's an artist who is exacting on mm-hmm. herself, also they're on the people around her. I think she has a very powerful, brutal inner critic. And the problem is that, that you know, in the workplace when you're trying to, you don't have to be a, a conductor to get a lot of out, or a, mus- a musician to get a lot out of this movie and, and mm-hmm. it does delve into power structures. But oftentimes that powerful, brutal inner critic it can leak out in the way that you speak to other people when you're trying to get them on the same train mm-hmm. as you, you know. And how do you, how do you, I think the film asks a big question is when you're striving for excellence, what is permissible, you know? How do we talk to one another? How do we push one another off our comfortable perches and to try and discover something new, which is, of course, what she's very interested in doing. Todd, I was so interested in the first moments we see Lydia She's getting, she's preparing to go on stage for this New Yorker Festival interview. And we see a lot of, she's got a lot of um, sort of ticks beyond fidgeting. She's adjusting and she's touching her face. And, and, you know, I was curious what you wanted us to understand about her in those first few moments before she even opens her mouth. Well, she's a character that has, um, uh, to use a clinical term, uh, misophonia, which is she, she's mm. very sensitive to certain sounds um, that bother her to the extreme um, and that she actually fears those sounds because they're painful to her. Mm. Um, she also suffers from, um, and these often come hand in hand for with, with people in, in that, that make music, especially conductors, uh, kinophonia, which is that she certain sights, the bouncing leg, a clicking pen, things mm. like that. So she's standing, you know, off stage waiting to, to enter with Adam Gopnik for this New Yorker interview, um, or this New Yorker talk, rather. And, um, and she's hearing people come into the auditorium. Um, she's hearing people with, a, you know, plastic bags or mm-hmm. digging into this or, or, or speaking in a, in a, in a, a pitched way that, that upsets her. Um, and, and, and she knows what she has to do. She knows the job that's coming up she has to go into this interview she has to be smart she has to be charming she has to be well versed uh, and she a bit ha- like you now Tom. yeah <laughs> but but she but, but she can't but she can't but she, but she could be so easily thrown by any of these things so she's kind of girding her loins so to speak and um there was a thought you know um if you read the script, the, the, big, the whole first page of the script just describes the sounds um and hmm. uh so there was a thought uh, and, and we were going to do this until we got into post, um, that you would actually hear what she's hearing mm. very, very specifically. Interesting. Um, but when Kate did this, all her score of physical actions was completely her own. That wasn't scripted. It wasn't something I asked her to do. She just did it. And once she did it, I realized we didn't need to hear the sounds anymore. Uh, we needed to watch someone reacting to it. And it's, mm. a, it's a, a really um, uh, a really loaded moment to, 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 to meet her with. It's like yeah. you said, a lot of superstitions uh, surrounding people who um, live and work uh, on the stage. And I know myself, you have to, when you stand backstage before the moment you go on, 
it's you could become a melt into a pool of butter and so you have to find a way to allow yourself to give over to the experience knowing absolutely where you're going but but uh, trying to exist in the moment and i'd seen a documentary on gergiev and he was um courting someone backstage and then he was by himself and he checked the phone and he was doing all these random quite domestic actions and then he brushed his shoulders before, and then he left um, I thought that's really interesting because often in um, in medicine rituals before you and of course the character of Lydia Tarr has spent many many years up the Ukulele Valley with the Shipibo Kaniabo people and probably mm-hmm. taken quite a lot of ayahuasca that you, your spirit gets brushed they and it's quite a similar gesture so I thought that that was probably quite an interesting one to include in her repertoire and it's that moment of she becomes capital L Lydia Tarr. She becomes public Lydia Tarr. When she's backstage, she's still herself, but she has to go out in front of these people and perform Lydia Tarr in a way. Yeah, she has to dance the mask. Yeah. Let's listen to a little bit of that scene. Lydia's at the height of her fame. She's about to be in conversation with Adam Gopnik from The New Yorker, who plays himself. This is from the film Tarr. Time is the thing. Uh-huh. Time is, is the essential piece of uh, interpretation. You cannot start without me. See, I start the clock. Now, my left hand, it shapes, but my right hand, the second hand, marks time and moves it forward. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means that time stops. Now, the illusion is that, like you, I'm responding to the orchestra in real right. time, making right. the decision about the right moment to restart the thing or reset it or throw time out the window altogether. The reality is that right from the very beginning, I know precisely what time really? it is and the exact moment that you and I will arrive at our destination together. That's from the film Tar. My guests are Kate Blanchett and Todd Field. So she says, you cannot start without me. Yes, which is, a, a, speaking of Gergiev, that's a name of his, uh, the do- a documentary made oh. about him. He was giving a masterclass and he was trying to instruct um, uh, ab- ab- about leading... Uh, an orchestra that he was saying um, to a young um, student conductor, and he, and he, the musician started without him, and he he held the beat. It was like an intake of breath, and he said, "See, this is where I, I'm not important here. I'm not important here, but you can't start until I give you the cue." So he was he was trying to tell him. You, oftentimes, you don't. You can just have a cigarette basically on the podium mm. while they play and play and play, and then you conduct. You don't have to over conduct, I think is what he was trying to say. But we stole that line. Yes, we did. <laughs> but how does that factor into how Lydia sees herself? Uh, in, you can't in, start in, without me. Yes. Uh, well, I, I think that it's interesting because I think uh, uh, the power of the personality of the conductor often cements their reputation. Hmm. And so you speak to orchestras and they a lot of musicians, orchestral musicians, kind of love to loathe the conductor. They, they love to talk about the, the reputation of a, of a conductor, both positive and negative. And even great conductors, and I won't mention any names, they say, yes, but his, and it's usually him, uh, his beating's really sloppy. You know, he's he's great with dynamics, but he's a sloppy beater. And then you, someone else will have, you know, an entirely different opinion about that person. So, you know, it's... Um, he doesn't bathe regularly. He doesn't bathe regularly, yes. <laughs> That's a big one. Yes. But it's... I, I think... I think she's very. Uh, I think part of her downfall, in a way, is that we find at the moment we find her in the movie. She's very aware of legacy, 
of and I think when you mm. start as an artist, when you start thinking about what you're going to leave behind, you cease to be in the present moment, which is, of course, where most powerful creation happens. Todd, why did you want to start with that pretty lengthy interview? I mean, it's a it's a really interesting way to start a film. A prologue. Um, well, as as Adam Gottmik says, Lydia Tarr is many things, um, and um, and those things are really important. I, I think um, I think her it's important what she is broadcasting to the world. You know, uh, mm. the other thing you see in that scene is. Uh, Francesca Lantini, played by her assistant, played by um, Noemi Merlant, um, is mouthing word for word what Adam is saying. And to understand that at the end of the day, it's show business, you know, um, and what is her business? Um, and, it, you know, the information that's being um, sort of conveyed between Adam and Lydia Tarr in that scene is is important to a point, but it's really more the manner in which she's executing um, those answers that he's uh, to the questions that have been fed to him, right? Mm. Um, and, and so you get to see a, her public face and you get to see her at the pitch of perception at her peak once. Uh, and and, and you're, so it's, it's just sort of peeling the onion so that by the time we meet her and she's brushing her teeth, it feels like the most exciting moment on earth because we, she, she holds us at a distance for a very, very long time. Um, so that that's that's essentially why you know why I wanted to start the film that way. I think it also sets up what she has to lose. Mm-hmm. You're you're very aware of her her skill, the vastness of her knowledge, but also um, how the audience hangs on her every word. That her insight and her perspective is really valued, and um, you're very aware of her position, her cultural the her cultural power, her cultural position. And so, therefore, you you understand the stakes, Mm -hmm. I think, from the beginning. We'll be back with a bit more of my conversation with Kate Blanchett and Todd Field, who joined me back in October to talk about their film Tar, which is up for six nominations, including Best Picture and Best Actress, at the Oscars this Sunday. This is all of it. You are listening to All of It. I'm Allison Stewart. And as part of our pre-Oscars coverage, we'll bring you more of my conversation about the movie Tar, which is up for six awards in six categories. Back in October, I sat down with executive producer Kate Blanchett and Todd Field, who wrote, directed, and produced the film. I asked Kate about the generational divides in the film, and particularly how Lydia Tarr reacts to a student who tells her she learned the cello from YouTube. I don't know. I, I, I steal a lot of things from YouTube. It's a very, very good resource for an actor. <laughs> for you, dude. But, but, but Lydia looks a little like a, you know, a dog in the window, like, huh. Yes. And then there are the issues of she doesn't really understand how a video of her, I want to say berating a student about how they feel about the white male composers. She's like, wait, that was supposed to be a video-free zone, not even understanding that someone would just take out a film, their phone right. and film. And then there's the texting. So I'm curious what you wanted to explore about generational differences and when, when someone perhaps isn't maybe quite literate in one part of their life, but maybe not another. Well, I, I think that's just, uh, just you know, sort of a historical reality that as one generation ages, inevitably become the, you know, cranky neighbor telling the kids to turn the, the music down next door. So, um, 
and, and there is that there is that thing where you um, you know the the generational um, contrast now is so extreme, massively extreme, based on um, the fact that we're we've been infected by technology, you know, and um, and how magical that is, but how it also changes the tempo of our lives. And you're dealing again with a character who is trading in time, mm-hmm. right? Um, and dealing with time in very circumscribed situations. Um, and it's not on their phone all the time. Um, but the rest of the world is, you know. Something about Lydia, which I found interesting in the film, many things, but, and I couldn't decide, I was, it's interesting, I've been thinking about it a lot. She's going through this period when a, a former acolyte of hers is is accusing her of stymieing her career and we this is where we start to get into some of the me too issues yet lydia continues to pursue this olga this young russian cellist even though all of this is swirling around her um why is she so willing to keep pursuing olga or is she just not really aware of the severity of what might be coming towards her what i love about the screenplay todd's screenplay is that it's never actually gives you enough information for you to get a full picture Mm -hmm. of what has gone on. So it's been really interesting talking to people about what they think has happened, what has occurred, because people have various perspectives Mm -hmm. on that. And I think they fill in the dots depending on their own perspective. Um, But I think she is in the middle of Marla 5, which is a love letter to Alma Marla from from Marla. So she's very concerned with love and Hmm. young love and she's also coming to the end of a teaching cycle she's she's about to turn 50 she's about to um have this massive moment with with one orchestra record all of marla's symphonies which nobody has done but her so she knows that she's going to begin again and she's uh, what does she do next she's she's sort of achieved everything she wanted to achieve as, as a musician and there she is looking at a young musician on on at the very beginning of their career Hmm. And the energy around that, creative, creatively, I think is intoxicating. So I, I never saw it necessarily as a, um, a predatory relationship, but more she wanted to warm her feet at, at the fire of that of of that young musician's passion. And I think that that's I, something I can relate to in the sense is when when one is working on something, you know, whether it's playing a conductor or playing a newsreader or a journalist, you you um, or a war correspondent, mm-hmm. then you start to look at the world around you through the lens of of the character's experience. And so I think in in delving into Marla's Fifth Symphony, I think she starts to she starts to think about attraction and love and passion. And um, I think that is born out of the out of the work. We're discussing the film Tar, which is in select theaters on Friday. It opens everywhere October 28th. My guests are producer, writer, and director Todd Field, as well as actor Kate Blanchett, who's also an executive producer on the project. When you think about, there's a lot of discussion of Lydia's clothes. She's, she's got her own tailor and the bespoke suits. And, and at first, I, when I watched, I thought, oh, this is because she's got to be so physical and she's got to move so much. And then part of me thought, oh, well, this is also about control of one's image. Um, well, certainly. I mean, all bespoke clothing is about the, the you know, control of, of, of one's image. Um, 
Um, and it's very nice to have a tailored suit, even though I'm, I'm a schlump in this jacket. <laughs> Lasts forever. Um, and, and, and these tailors were particularly nice, um, but that's another story. Um, what is uh, that story? Uh, well, no, 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 no. Todd is quite obsessive. He got very obsessed with the tailors. I did. I did, yeah. The, 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 uh, if you're ever in Berlin, uh, you want to go see Egan Brandstetter. Um, I highly recommend him and his partner, Mark. Um, but, um, no, this is, uh, the tailors, that really came out of... Um, Bina Diagler, you know, who, who is our um, uh, our costume designer mm-hmm. and an all around um, incredible, incredible collaborator. collaborator. Yeah. Um, and she and I had dinner uh, while we were shooting. It was originally sort of um, a very, very simple sort of uh, sequence where um, this character is, again, as Kate said, she's preparing for this sort of to reach this peak with the Mahler Five, um, mm-hmm. and she's uh, she's trying to figure out what is that image, what is the image that I want to project on the cover of this album, um, who's done it before? And she goes looking at all the, the canon, the, the, the Bernsteins, the Von Karians, the Fritz Wanglers, the Abados, to try to find what she thinks is an honest picture. The irony is she's mm. looking for an honest pose. And, and of course the pose is completely dishonest because she's stealing it from Abado. Um, but but Bean and I talked about that and I, I said, you know what I, I really need here is, uh, is I, I need uh, I need a little ribbon through this. And, and and she said, if you're going to do it, we have to do it right. Um, and so we sort of built that sequence together. Um, and uh, that was a that was a, 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 a it was important because it you know, it's running parallel to her tailoring her, mm-hmm. her story with Adam. So Adam's reading out this tailored story and she's literally being dressed. But I, I think also it, it speaks to, right from the first frames of the film, just how meticulous she is, how exacting, how mm-hmm. disciplined, which, of course, would be... The, that's not pejorative. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're necessary requirements if you're, if you're going to be a master of, of any instrument, you know, um, and certainly as a conductor, you do need to be exacting and specific and um, precise. In terms of mastering an instrument, we learn that she plays accordion. There's an accordion in her childhood bedroom, we see, mm-hmm. of all the instruments you could pick for Lydia Tar to play. Why the accordion? Well, um, you know, her Lydia's you know birth name was Linda Tar with two R's, and I, I imagine that she grew up on Cannon Avenue next to you know Fresh Kills when it was still a, a landfill, and. Yeah. Um, and probably her parents were probably first generation immigrants from Budapest, and and, and I, I reckon that her mother probably played the accordion, and she learned it as a child, and that they, they went to Hungarian, uh, you know, social clubs and things like that. It's quite common. And just I, I don't know. I mean, it just seemed like a it, it, it's a um, it's an unusual instrument. It's also sort of a telling detail. Indeed. We get a little bit of a glimpse into Lydia's personal life, her romantic life with her partner and an adopted daughter. And that relationship seems to be one that is, it's just not transactional with mm. the little girl. Um, what does Petra open up in Lydia, the little girl, the, the daughter? Well, I don't want to describe it too much because I think it's such a delicate and beautiful relationship mm-hmm. that the audience sees unfold um, and is quite... But it, I did see it as absolutely central to understanding Lydia, the deep love she has for her daughter. I think I had said to myself, and this is not made explicit in the screenplay or the film, that it was a surprise 
that mm. she had never imagined that she would have children and that perhaps it was Sharon's idea to adopt and Lydia had gone along with it. And I think like a lot of parents, um, when, you're, when your child is born or when, when you have the great good fortune to adopt, that the relationship you have, the love you have for your child, is you are completely ambushed by her. And mm-hmm. by that love, mm-hmm. and I think that that's what happened to Lydia. Is it was a, it was a moment of profound and um, singular surprise how deeply she loved this this child. That was my conversation with Oscar nominees Todd Field, who wrote, directed, and produced Tar, and executive producer and star Kate Blanchett. Tar has been nominated in six categories for this year's Academy Awards, happening this Sunday. WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com slash WNYC and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off.